This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Before we dive into today's topic, I want to just give a quick reminder for those of you who are interested in hanging out with me in Denver, Colorado next week. I am co-hosting a Women in Podcasting meetup and really just anyone who loves podcasting and wants to hang out and talk podcasting with me and Kat Jaffe from House of Pod, a new podcasting co-working space in Denver. We're hosting a free get-together Tuesday night, February 13th. Find all the details on bossedup.org's homepage right under the top banner, and you can find the details in Stuff Mom Never Told You's Twitter and Instagram feeds. Hope to see you there. Happy Black History Month! It's February, and you know what that means. It is the month where we remember and amplify and uplift all the cultural contributions of Black folks. You're welcome, y'all. We've given y'all so much. (laughs) So much. You're welcome, Miley Cyrus. You're right. Actually, she, well, you know how I feel about her. Uh, We have a whole episode. Yeah, go listen to it. You know how I feel. Um, Yeah, Black History Month is a a fun month for me. Um, When I was young and in school, I grew up kind of love hating it. You know, I knew every February we would get to read about the historical figures and writers that I actually like really, really cared about. But going to a pretty white school, February was always, you know, oh, here's our month. Here's the time where we actually learn about folks of color. And then we'll go back to our regularly scheduled schooling where we don't hear much about them for the rest of the year. So even though I grew up really looking forward to it, I also was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I mean, there's something about it that feels like you should be celebrating someone giving you breadcrumbs instead of including you in the meal. That is exactly how I would describe how it felt growing up. It felt a bit compartmentalizing. And I always feel that while it's really great and important to celebrate the legacy of Black folks in America, I often felt, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to have a special month where it was just something that we did as a people all the time, that we were advocating for the achievements and the cultural impact of all the various groups that make our world so rad. Right. And not just doing it, you know, oh, it's Hispanic Heritage Month. Oh, it's Black History Month. Oh, it's Women's History Month. What would a world look like if we just had equal representation of the diverse tapestry that is our world all the time? I think that's the tension between efforts around inclusion versus efforts that feel othering, you know? Exactly. Even though I like it, it always felt a bit othering. And when you're the only black girl in a mostly white school, oftentimes when it's Black History Month, people are like, hey, Bridget. Tell us about history. Oh, it's February. You know what that means. <laughs> you know, it can get a little. Oh, Bridget. <laughs> I can just see a 
whole class full of Catholic schoolgirls with their plaid skirts turning to you. So, Bridget, tell us about Black history. That is not incorrect. That's not that's not a wrong assumption of how it went down. I'm sure if you're for our black listeners, I'm sure, you know, you probably had that moment in school where it's time to talk about slavery or Martin Luther King and everyone looks at you like you knew them personally or that you were there. And you're like, I wasn't there. I can give you no. I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely grew up. Wait, time out. Didn't Donald Trump just do that? Do you know them? Are they your friends? The yeah, Black Caucus? It was, it was, um, he asked April Ryan, yes. an incredibly respected journalist, whether she could help set up a meeting between him and the Congressional Black Caucus. Because y'all know each other. Right, and she was like, first of all, I'm not your secretary, so you probably have someone who could do that for you. Second of all, I don't, it's not like I'm friends with all of them, like I know them. Yeah, you, me, Frederick Douglass, uh, and the Black Caucus. The exactly. Black Congressional Caucus. We're all, we're all good friends. Exactly, exactly. So for all the shade I'm throwing, I actually really do enjoy and appreciate Black History Month. I know that my favorite Black History Month began with a Super Bowl performance by Beyonce performing Freedom wearing basically a cute version of a Black Panther outfit and dancing around, and I was screaming at my TV. <laughs> and I remember tweeting, oh, this is going to be the best Black History Month ever. <laughs> so it's not, like I, it's not like I don't appreciate it. So for as much shade as I do throw, I do think it's important to respect and amplify the contributions of Black folks in February and remember our important legacy and heritage in America. Yes. So let's take a look at how Black History Month became Black History Month, when this all started. So back in the early 20th century, Carter Woodson, who happens to be today's Google Doodle, Bridget. And we happen to be just a block away from Carter Woodson Park here in D.C. Oh, no Fun way. Fun fact. Awesome. He was earning a master's degree from the University of Chicago and a Ph.D. from Harvard. Ever heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> both degrees in history when he witnessed how black people were completely underrepresented in not only conversation, but books, textbooks on history. And basically, the way that many historians were teaching American history at the time, African Americans barely made the cut, barely made the narrative, which we all know is a huge disservice, and not to mention factually in accurate. So in 1915, Carter Woodson and Jesse Moreland founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, now known as the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. The organization would promote studying black history as a discipline and celebrating the accomplishments of African Americans. Later in 1926, Woodson and the ASALH launched, quote, Negro History Week to bring attention to his mission and help school systems coordinate their focus on the topic. He's quoted as saying, if race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated. So basically, his whole thing was that if we didn't study and amplify and uplift the cultural impact of Black folks, then our contributions would just be lost, and that no one would advocate for its study if we did not kind of make that special push to do so. And he really underscores the fact that what makes the history books is always political. I mean, whoever the winners of history are, write history. Exactly. And it's so important to, in dismantling white supremacy to acknowledge the kind of bias and blind spots that exist in the very way we talk about history of our country. Or the way we don't talk about it. Like, who gets right. included, who gets left out. And I think Woodson, that's what I find so radical about him, is that he really thought, you know, hey, I'm going to advocate to make sure that our stories get told and that our place in history is not forgotten. Right. So Woodson ended up establishing February as Black History Month. And it's commonly said that his reasoning had to do with the birthdays 
of two great Americans who played such a prominent role in shaping black history. Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln have birthdays on the 14th and 12th, respectively. But most importantly, he chose February for tradition. So as we know, February is when Lincoln was assassinated and one of the most commonly cited figures in black history, Frederick Douglass, was born. And so for a lot of black folks since the 1890s, that was just sort of a time to celebrate and a time to remember black past and black identity. And really, the idea caught on and spread very quickly. Later, during the civil rights movement, freedom schools in the South really embraced the concept and including black history more explicitly in its curriculum as a way to contribute to the mission. But it wasn't enough that communities of color were celebrating Black History Month. It really wasn't until relatively recently that Black History Month became something more celebrated in the mainstream. Back in the mid-1960s, the most popular eighth grade U.S. history textbook only included two black people in the entire century of history that had transpired since the Civil War. And that problem could no longer be ignored. So it was in the 60s that colleges and universities across the country really started to embrace Black History Month as a part of the traditions on college campuses. It's not at all surprising to me that this really took off on college campuses and in schools, you know, because if your task is teaching and shaping the minds of the next generation and they're only learning about two black people, that's a problem. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that schools and campuses took it among themselves to try to rectify this a little bit. And the fact that Black History Month took off with such fervor, I think really goes to show how much thirst people have about learning about their own history, their own stories and seeing themselves reflected in those stories. We'll talk more about why that matters after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Gotta tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out. Which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, 
Apple App Store, or Google Play. That's Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends Without the R, Best Fiends. And we're back just talking through my complicated but mostly loving feelings about Black History Month. So as much as I love Black History Month, one thing that frustrates me time and time again, you guessed it, patriarchy. Few things escaped getting mired by patriarchy and Black History Month is no different. When you think about Black History Month, you often think of figures like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. Frederick uh, Douglass. Right. You think of mostly men. Now, sometimes they include a few women. Uh, Madam C.J. Walker is often included a lot. If you don't know who she is, she revolutionized the hair care industry. First self-made millionaire yes. woman in the United States. Like an early boss. By the way, she started her business in like two neighborhoods away from my current neighborhood in Denver. Stop it. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Did you know that in the mountains of Colorado is where some of the first African-American retreats and camps just for black people are? I did not know that. I learned that in the Museum of Colorado and I need to do an episode on it. Okay, so I've all, this is like my own ignorance. I've always thought of Colorado as kind of a white state. It totally is. But this is so cool. Now I need a trip to Colorado. It has the most fascinating black history. You have to come visit. Who knew? Side note. The <laughs> man CJ Walker, she got her start in five points in Denver. When it comes to, that's not where she was born, but that's where her business was born. That's so cool. I had no idea. Total boss. Damn. Right? I think of her almost every time I fall asleep without my bonnet on. If you're a black woman, you know what that means. Uh, whenever I fall asleep without it on, I think of her being like, Bridget. Get it together. Get it together. I did not create an empire for you to mess up your hair. <laughs> so shout out to Madam CJ Walker. So there are women figures that you hear about. You hear about her, Rosa Parks sometimes. I feel like you hear about the women in such a way that they're just punctuation marks. They don't get their full story told. They're sort of supporting cast members. It's not fair. They never get seem to get the kind of attention of a true protagonist. They are almost treated as supporting cast members, supporting characters in the story of Black history. That's exactly right. Keisha N. Blaine, an assistant professor of history at the University of Pittsburgh, writes at Newsweek, Black nationalist movements would have all but disappeared were it not for women. What's more... These women laid the groundwork for the generation of black activists who came of age during the civil rights black power era. In the 1960s, many black activists, including Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hammer, Robert F. Williams, Malcolm X, and Stokely Carmichael, drew on these women's ideas and political strategies. And so really what you see in the civil rights movement especially is black women being pushed aside in the margins even though they were the backbone of many of these movements. Doesn't that kind of sound like the conversations we have about the modern-day Democratic Party? Yes. I mean, <laughs> this is... I, like, I'll be here all day. <laughs> I know. Yes, plus 100. <laughs> you see that time and time and time and time again, where women, particularly Black women, tend to be in the background of so many powerful and impactful social and political movements. So for me... If women aren't there, I am not about it. Yeah, as Catherine J. Kennedy, the director of Boston University's Howard Thurman Center, said, most of these women were, quote, volunteers, women in the churches who cooked the meals and made sure all the preparations were made, the ones who cleaned up after the rallies and got ready for the next one. Most women who are sincerely interested in making a difference are not looking for the publicity for it. Making true differences doesn't always come with fanfare. That is so true. It does remind me quite a bit of our episode on running for office with Aaron Velarde, because time and time again, the research suggests that women get involved in political movements because they want to make impactful change. 
and less so because they want to be, you know, the face of the movement or have a really powerful, glamorous, flashy position within a movement. And I think it's so important to remember these unsung real powerhouses that kept these movements running. And we don't. We don't think about the women cooking the meals, cleaning up, the women who kept things running smoothly so these movements could operate. We don't really remember them. And I think we should. And I think that's my overall beef with Black History Month is that it encourages us to see power and change as glamorous, flashy work that will always get you remembered and always get you a section in the history books. And I think that encourages us to forget that it's not always so flashy and not always so glamorous and that sometimes you're cooking meals and cleaning up after people. And that doesn't mean that you're not someone who should be remembered for your contributions. Totally. And I think that's a lasting lesson, right? That is as true today as it ever has been. Let's talk more about some of these so-called hidden figures after this quick break. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth so you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. And we're back. And we were just talking about some of our feelings on Black History Month and why we don't tend to remember the women. And I wanted to spend a moment talking about some of my favorite women of the civil rights movement and women that I hope get their due during Black History Month. Now, just keep in mind that we could do an entire episode on all of these women or really a series because they have so many dynamic parts to who they are. And it still wouldn't do them justice because their contributions are 
manifold. Absolutely. But I just wanted to take a minute to remember some of these forgotten voices. So first is one of my favorites, Ella Baker. Ella Baker was a very, very charismatic labor leader. And she was someone who interestingly believed that political power shouldn't be focused too much on leaders. And so she was someone who didn't really get her due a lot of times because she thought, hey, this isn't about me. This isn't about one person. It's about all of us, which I love. Right. But as a longtime organizer, though, she did later become the national director of the NAACP. And in 1957, she joined the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, whose first president was a guy you may have heard of before, Martin Luther King Jr. She worked with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee to support civil rights activism on college campuses. And it was a major player in the civil rights movement. And today we actually have the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, which is probably one of my favorite lefty organizations based where else in Oakland, California. The Ella Baker Center is really all about making sure that low income folks and folks of color have their political and social issues amplified and advocated for. Another figure that I love is one that you might not have even ever heard of, Septima Clark. So what's so cool about her is that she really used education as a kind of radical weapon to politicize people. Doesn't this sound familiar, Bridget Todd? Former Professor Todd? Listen, I was very clear that when I was in the classroom, my whole goal was to create little radical Bridget Todds to go out like a little a little rad army. <laughs> and they like and didn't you say later that they kind of spurred you on to be more of an activist? Yeah, I thought I was teaching them, but they were teaching me. And Septima Clark really taught all of us, often called the queen mother of the civil rights movement. She was an educator not only of children, but also taught literacy classes for adults, pushing for education and an equal rights agenda in a whole bunch of activist organizations, including the Young Women's Christian Association, the Federation of Women's Clubs, the Council of Negro Women, and most importantly, the NAACP. Exactly. I love how she used literacy and teaching and training in this kind of alternative way to build political power. We don't often think about teaching and educating as a way to build power, and we should. I mean, for me, as a former political trainer... That's the only way that you build power. Yeah. I'm sure you know a little something about As that too. <laughs> founded a training company. Yes, that's so true. It's such a huge part of organizing and building power from the ground up, from the grassroots up. I love that. We should have more famous political trainers. Period. Yeah. Full stop. Like when I was working as a political trainer, people would say, what does that mean? What do you do? I don't think that people think of training or teaching or education as a political tactic. So but true. It, for me, it's like there is not a more powerful political tactic. Well, That's why you need to run for office and popularize this because Barack Obama brought community organizer the term, the the title. He elevated that title. He elevated that role. It's time for us to elevate political trainer. Oh, God. I'll never forget when I got my first job as an organizer. An organizer was like on my business card, handing it to someone in an airport and him being like, his first thing was like closets. (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm an organizer. And he said, oh, like California closets? And I said, no, like... Go out and vote. <laughs> I love it. So I, I think that I'm, I'm, this was pre-Obama, so. Right. You know, we didn't, we didn't know yet. Maybe that communication strategy on your, uh, <laughs> business card placement of that word didn't quite do the trick. Exactly. At the time. Exactly. But it, again, it's so important. And Septima is one of my heroes as a former educator. And I just, I think people should, more people should know about her and they should know about education and training as a tactic. Yeah, I mean, she was a big part of the Southern Christian Leadership Council marches and protests, working closely with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And later in life, when Dr. King 
received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, he insisted that she accompany him to receive the award in Sweden. So that just goes to show you how impactful this woman was. Yet people don't talk about her. Yeah, know her name, y'all. Septima Pointset Clark. And one final figure we really want to highlight when it comes to women of the civil rights era and women who are left out of our Black History Month celebrations far too often is Fannie Lou Hamer. As a Mississippi sharecropper, Fannie was beaten and jailed in 1962 for having the audacity of trying to register to vote. She later ended up co-founding the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and gave a fiery speech at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. Let's hear a bit from her powerful speech. All of this is on account of we want to register. To become first-class citizens, and if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings? In America, thank you. Wow, you can imagine why she's one of my heroes. What I love about her is that she just has such a forceful presence. When I think about the power of Black women's political organizing, she's the first person that comes to my mind always. And she's known for coining all these phrases that I use all the time. She coined the phrase "I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired," which I probably say all the time. My mom used to say it to me all the time when I was being annoying. <laughs> Uh, she coined that phrase, and so when I think about someone who really understood the power of making your voice heard, I think about her.、Mm-hmm. And she rightfully later earned her spot in the National Women's Hall of Fame. Not someone to be forgotten when we're celebrating Black History. Exactly. And again, I just want to be clear: we could go on. We could talk about so many forgotten figures of the civil rights movement, and so many Black women who don't get their due. Every February, but should. But we just wanted to give a quick introduction to some of these figures that are, frankly, some of my favorites. Really, this was just a chance for me to geek out on some ladies that I love. So, thanks for ending me. Us? <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is so important. And for all of us who are taking part in Black History Month in any way, shape, or form, let's make sure that we're bringing gender equality into the equation as well. We know Black women get left out and are too often erased. From conversations about gender and conversations exclusively focused on race, let's not make that mistake. So, Sminty listeners, who are your favorite Black icons? Who do you like to remember every February, or hopefully all the time? Are you relishing in Black joy this February as I am? We want to know how you're celebrating this Black History Month. So, hit us up on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Get at us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, and as always, our inbox is open at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks dot com. Dear Young Rockers, Season Two is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early twenties. And a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. 
Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.